This is episode 20 of the Home and Family Culture Podcast. I'm Jody Chafee, and I have a really scratchy voice today. In this episode, I interviewed Marilee Boyack. She's a wife, mother, author, speaker, and attorney. I hope you enjoy this interview. Welcome to the Home and Family Culture Podcast, where I discuss how families can discover and design their collective vision, values, beliefs, and traditions that influence their family culture. The purpose of my podcast is to interview experts who can offer tips and tools to aid families in the process of developing their family culture, and also successful individuals whose success was influenced by their family culture. For more information or to subscribe, go to homeandfamilyculture.com or you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Family Culture Podcast and on Twitter at underscore Family Culture. You can tune in on my site or on the variety of podcast broadcasting apps like iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and even on YouTube. Just search Home and Family Culture with the ampersand between home and family culture. Please remember to like, comment, share, and rate on whatever medium you choose. I would love to hear from you. Marilee Boyack loves life and loves every season of life, especially this one. She enjoys hanging out with her hubby, four sons, daughter-in-law, and two grandchildren, and discussing politics. She is an estate planning attorney preparing trust, wills, and powers of attorney, and her law practice covers Utah and California. Marilee is also a professional lecturer and speaks all over the country, featured for many years at BYU Education Week and Time Out for Women, and a published author. She loves to travel and meet people all, all over the world. Her perfect day is camping in a tent, reading a good book, taking a perfect hike, and eating free food. Her current passion is working with Family Watch International as president for Utah. She is working to protect the family and children at the international level at the United Nations and is supporting governments around the world to institute measures to protect families. Marilee also has created the Empowered Families Coalition of Pro-Family Organization in Utah to support family and traditional values. She is a passionate community activist working to protect traditional values and liberties. She is the author of several books and talks, including The Parenting Breakthrough, Strangling Your Husband is Not an Option, In Trying Times, Just Keep Trying, and her most recent, The Mismatched Nativity. Marilee and her husband, Steve, reside in Lehigh, Utah. Welcome, Marilee. Thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> Happy to. You know, as I was reading your bio, um, I, was very, I feel very impressed that you were able to balance parenting and your professional life. How did you manage to do that? I did everything part-time at home. Uh (laughs) So yeah, I created a law practice working from home Mm -hmm. um, and have worked from my home for 30 years. And so I would work when the kids were either in school or in bed and, uh, and then I just kind of layered everything else part-time. That's so, it's so impressive. I love that. Cause it's like right now I'm, I'm trying to kind of establish my, my thing and do a work life balance thing too. And so it's very inspiring to meet women who are, are making it work. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. You just need to put first things first 
And, you know, my spiritual life came first and my family, and then you fit everything else in. So many people try to do all those other things first and it doesn't work well. So, yeah. Yep. So one of the reasons I, I asked you to be on the show is because I heard your talk on the LDSHE about in, uh, raising independent children. And I also even have your, the parenting breakthrough, uh, a real life plan to teach your kids to work save money and be truly independent. And it's a, a really great topic because as we're trying to establish and develop our family culture, we really do need to be intentional about how we teach our kids to grow up and be independent and that someday they're going to be adults. Oh, so yeah. will you tell us more about your inspiration behind this book and this topic? Sure. I had kids and <laughs> They didn't come with an owner's manual, and that was very frustrating. And so I looked and looked and looked in the books and literature that was out there to try to find a book that told me what the heck I was doing. Mm -hmm. You know, the books would talk about discipline, or they would also talk about stages of development. Mm -hmm. But there was nothing that really described, here's how you raise a child and teach them all those life skills they need to become independent. And in my practice, I was seeing clients with children in their 40s and 50s still living at home <clears throat> and, you know, leeching off a mom and dad. And I thought, over my dead body. <laughs> so um, we began developing, I'm a big list maker. And I said to my husband, well, let's just write down everything that we need to teach our children. And that list grew and grew. And uh, we began, you know, teaching our kids that way. And other people were like, what are, what are you doing? You know, that's different. And uh, eventually I began speaking about it and then wrote the book because everyone was begging, you know. But I had, to see, I had to go through the lab first with all the children to make sure it actually worked. <laughs> right. You know, poor guinea pigs. So, yeah. So that was how the book then came to be. So what are some of the things that you would do with your kids to help them to establish their independence? Well, we start, uh, um, it actually starts at birth, kind of that mindset. Uh, this mm. is an important thing for me to do is to train my children to be independent. And, and, you know, I encourage parents, and we use that as a filter, you know, is what I'm doing helping to teach that? Um, so often we do so much for our children, and then we want them to be independent and wonder why they're not. <laughs> it's because we're doing everything. So we began at age three with a very concerted effort to teach them independence. So they learned how to brush their teeth and they learned how to make their beds and pick up their toys. And, and by the ages of four and five, we were introducing household chores. Mm. And most of the kids in our neighborhood had no household chores. Um, and so we started, nope, you get to, they love cleaning glass. That's a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> you give them little sprayer and, and they just think that's awesome or they get the little swiffer duster oh they think that's fabulous and so we started at very ages teaching mm -hmm. them how to do this stuff they loved it they yeah loved my it. kids love my love my kids love when i give them a spray bottle to wash the windows or a rag to like wipe down the walls oh, yeah. when they're little you know so how do you oh, yeah. determine at when they're ready for more responsibility well, like I say, that first child was a bit of a guinea pig, um, and we would kind of observe what our nieces and nephews were doing and children around us, and so it was kind of experimentation at the beginning of, we would try, you know, okay, you know, is the child old enough to make a sandwich? Well, let's give it a shot, you know, and we would try, and, and that first child didn't like cooking. He still doesn't like cooking, 
and and so his it was funny his cooking stuff was later um and but he enjoyed the cleaning stuff and so we just kind of did that with each of our children and then with each kid like I say you adapt uh, my mm-hmm. other child oh my gosh he could not do cooking fast enough mm-hmm. you know and so we would introduce things a little bit earlier with him so like I said it was kind of a, an experimentation until we kind of came up with the list by the time we had the second child we had the list and then would adapt you know with each kid as they came along. So tell us more about your mindset for allowing kids to do chores. Because I think sometimes parents hear you say, let your kids do these jobs, and they're cringing, going, no, they're, gonna, they're not going to do it right, or they're not going to make a mess, or they're going to make a mess, or they're going to hurt themselves. What, what was your perspective going into it, going, I need to let my kids do and, and this? I remember doing their own wash was a very big deal. And you uh-huh. talked to other they're like, what? You know, no. And I say, okay, what age are you going to let them do their watch? When they're 20? You know, when they're 18? When, when is that going to start? Um, there are kind of are two factors. One is, are they physically capable? You know, because mm-hmm. a three-year-old is not physically capable of doing some of the things that, that an older child would. And the other is judgment. Um, and here again, you're going to adapt to the child because some of my children had really good judgment and others were a little bit slower to cook in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always tried to err on the judgment of give it a try and see if they can do it. Um, and if it doesn't work out, we say, you know, no worries. We'll try this next year. And there's no guilt, no, you know, yeah. no all that on there. Just say, no problem. You know, we'll try that next year. Right. Cause if you um, criticize them, that's going to break down their desire yeah. to want to do it again. I noticed that with my oldest, I, I got kind of critical with some of the, when she was starting to do something and then she's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Oh, yeah, I'm shut done. down. She's, she just didn't want to do it. And she was little. I was like, no, I've ruined her. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, the mindset of we're, we're in training mode is mm-hmm. super important. Um, you know, the average child takes eight presentations to learn something. That's mm-hmm. on average. Some things will take 20. Like for me, cooking takes about 20 or 30 presentations before it sinks in because I hate to cook. <laughs> and, and for others, you know, you teach them uh, how to, you know, do something on the computer, one, one thing and they're done, you know? So um, I just keep that mindset of we're And I say this to the child, we're in training mode, you know, mm-hmm. we're in training, you're learning, we're going to practice or, you know, and, and so there's no, um, no criticism in that regard. It's just, you're learning. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I tell the children, it takes an average of eight. So don't even say anything until we've hit eight, you know? I think that that really shows the growth mindset, uh, you know, perspective that it's like, you're not going to learn something the first time. It's okay to keep yeah. trying and, yeah. and to be open with that communication with your child that, you, you know, it's, this is a process and we're learning and you're in training and that's okay to practice. This is practice. Keep trying. I like that. It's great. You know, when they screw up, you just say, you know, like I remember my son was 16 and I sent him out to do the weeding. And of course he came back with the plants and no roots attached. And I said, oh, no problem. We need another training session. And of course he rolled his eyes and I said, no, 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 no problem. Obviously I didn't instruct you well enough and we need to practice more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, mom, I, lo- I know how. I looked at him and I said, well, then why didn't you do it right? You know, and he got to roll his eyes again, but. You know, we kind of just really stayed in that mode, even when it was humorous. And sometimes mm-hmm. you have to be humorous. You do say, have to oh, be humorous. Or training is needed. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> 
I like that perspective too, because I think that as parents, it is our responsibility to train and we need to be accountable for the amount of training that we do give our kids so that if they come back to us and go, well, I didn't know. And we're going, ah, and, and, you know, getting frustrated with them. Well, that's putting the blame on, on them when they didn't, they didn't know they just needed more training. They needed more correction. And to, that it's our role as parents to, to teach and correct. And I think, I like you know, our mindset was by the age of 12, we wanted most of their basic uh, life skills in place by the mm. age of 12. Um, after the age of 12, uh, we started bringing in other people into their lives to help them learn what they had left to learn. But by 12, our kids were largely independent and then started learning adult things like resume preparation and detailing mm. a car and, you know what I mean, more, yeah. more adult which kept them very engaged in that learning process because they were doing cool stuff. Right. Cause that, that is a very, that's very empowering because by the time they're 12 or 14, they want to start doing more adulting kind of things. And, and they still want to do those kinds of things. Once you get into like 18, 20 year olds, they're like, I don't want to do this adulting thing. <laughs> right. Does that, did you see that happening sometimes? Well, you know, with, with our kids, by the time they were adults, they knew so much more than most adults in terms of how to run their lives. And um, so they were very, very confident, like frighteningly confident, every single one of them. Uh, that, that, and, and it was funny because they didn't realize that other children weren't being raised that way. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I remember getting a call from college going, these guys know nothing about a mutual fund. I said, oh, you're kidding me. How horrifying. <laughs> My son said, I'm doing a class tonight and I'm instructing all my roommates on how to invest in mutual funds. And I I just laughed. And it took them a while to figure out, people don't do this. You know, they don't know this stuff. And so then they were encouraging the younger ones of, oh, do whatever they say. You have no idea how far along you'll be in life. You know, when you're not sitting there at 19 trying to figure it out how to pay utility bill, you know? Right. I liked in your book that you have a list right in the front of the book in the first couple of chapters about what age you teach the kids different things so that by the time they're 12 and 13, you know, you start, you, you know, what exactly what they need to learn. I love that. How do parenting? <laughs> yeah. It, that's awesome because it's, it's a, and it's super empowering for them to, like you said with your kids that they go and they're like, nobody knows how to do this stuff. And they already have it down so they can move on with the other things and more important things that they want to do with their lives and they're prepared for it. I tell a, a really funny story of yeah. family has my 10 year old in the car and they pull up to get gas and he jumps out and says, hand me your credit card. And he's pumping the gas and all the family kids in the family who are older are looking out the window going, do you see that mom? He's pumping the gas. And she's like, yeah, you know, their family does that kind of thing. And then all the children said, will you teach us how to pump gas? And she's like, okay, you bet. I will. <laughs> so, I love that. You know, my kids just, like I say, once you train your children this way, it becomes a very normal part of their life that this is what I'm doing. I'm learning all these things to become an independent adult. They, and like I say, they stay very engaged. And that's when it becomes a part of your culture. Part of another way to define culture, your family culture, is things that are normal, things that you default to. And when you're defaulting to, hey, son, come on up and let's do this together and, and learn this thing, that becomes a natural 
process. I love, yeah. I love that. Very how do you how do you establish boundaries for what is the child's responsibility versus what is the parent's responsibility? Oh, good question. Our default was if they can do it, let them. Mm-hmm. That's our default. And so if they can make their bed, you let them. If they can pack their own lunch, you let them. Um, if they can dress themselves or, you know, drive a car or whatever, you know, you, you lean toward independence and letting them. You have to balance the desire to nurture, which can move into smother, mm. um, and this desire to train your children. You know, uh, what I encourage parents, especially moms, who have a hard time with that, where that line is, mm-hmm. I say pick out one or two things that will be your nurturing thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, for my mom, she made us breakfast every morning, even though we were perfectly capable. Mm-hmm. That was her, I love you, nurturing thing. Mm. Um, interesting, but we made our own lunches, you know, uh, with my kids, when they got into college or high school and college, they were very, very busy and involved. And I made their bed. And I remember my son's coming in, but you make the bed. I said, yeah, but I already know how I said, I know, but you're really busy. And I'm going to do this as a little, I love, you. you know, and so, you know, you can pick that out, but for everything else, let them, let them do it. Back off. <laughs> what about kids that you, you try to say, hey, I'm trying to teach you to be more independent and they're dragging their feet going, ah, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, ah, oh, it's another job. And you, you know, if, they're, if they've been assigned jobs or things like that, how do you balance that, you know, the desire versus the, this is another nagging thing that they have. You know, and we had four sons, so we had plenty of moaning and groaning going <laughs> on. Uh-huh. You know, parents are like, always ask that question of, how do I get them to love doing their chores? I say, you know, do you love cleaning out the freezer? No, you hate it. You know, do you love pulling the weeds? No, you know, but we learn the responsibility of doing what we need to do. You know, and so the key there is if you have, if they have certain assigned chores, which we did a lot, and if they have self-care, which is, you know, Little Boy Scouts would come to me and say, my chore is to clean my room. I say, no, that's (laughs) self-care. That's your stuff. That's just part of, that's your life and where you Mm. live. So anyway, um, and so once you kind of decide on that, you need to decide on consequences that will occur. Mm. And children will react differently. Some kids will enjoy certain things more than others. Some kids will be more responsible than others. Other kids will be a royal pain in the butt. You know, and your job is to toe the line and say, there are consequences that occur. For example, we had Saturday chores because our children went to school very early. So we had Saturday chores. They didn't do anything until their Saturday chores were done. Even if it took them all day, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you do nothing else until your chores are done. Um, you know, for example, their daily chores. Um, mm-hmm. You don't eat dinner until it's done. Let us know when you're done and you can join us. You know, whatever it was, emptying the dishwasher, feeding the dog, whatever it was. So there were very firm consequences. And... I think one of the things that's really key is don't be wishy-washy, whatever though. And make those consequences legit, you know, Um, don't be pulling something random out of the clear blue, you know, make them related to what you're doing. And then toe that line. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ask yourself, if I give into this, if I do it for them, if I let them go play and not enforce this, what am I teaching them? Mm-hmm. You're teaching them that if you nag mom or if you drag your feet enough, dad's going to let you off the hook. Not a good lesson to learn. Right. A horrible lesson to teach. You know, 
Now, does that mean we were 100% perfect? Oh, heavens, no. We screwed up all the time, just like our kids, you know? Yeah. But if you have that guideline of, of saying, this is what will occur or will not occur, you know, and just being very consistent in that. And they would rant, I'd go, oh, you poor thing. You were born into this terrible family. <laughs> you know, and we would just laugh and chuckle and, you know, and try to diffuse it a little bit. Right. But some, yeah, they're never going to love it. Oh, well, welcome to life. Welcome to yeah. reality. Yeah. That's what we find we end up doing. It's like, you guys, you have to try and do this because someday you're going to be the one responsible for doing all this. And mm-hmm. I started reading this one book called uh, How to Raise an Adult. Have you seen that book? Uh-uh. I liked it because it was like, you know, well, she talks a lot about the, the millennial problem oh, yeah. these days, you know, where they've actually had to create another, um, what do you call it, a demographic of a d- development where it's like between adult or between adolescence and adulthood, there's this middle ground, you know, that they've actually in psychology created and defined it as another part of our development where it's, they're not quite adults, but they're not kids anymore. And so it's interesting that it's become such an issue or such a thing that it's actually shaping science and sociology and the way that we think about growing up and developing and so she talks a lot about that in the book and about how we need to give our kids adult responsibilities, including allowing them to address ad- other adults with concerns or things, you know, because it's such a big issue these days that parents have to actually call colleges or employers and things like that or go in and discuss because Leading up to their adulthood, the, the, te- the parents are going into their teachers oh. to discuss things or talk over their, their, their child's problem. And so kids need to be the ones yes. talking to the adults. What is your take on that? And that starts very early. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the age of five, they're talking to the waitress, telling them what they're going to order, not me. You know, my six-year-old went in and ordered his own. The guy looks at me for his haircut and says, Mom. And I said, ask him. It's his head. Mm-hmm. And so he says, you know, I forget what it was. I'll, I'll have a number two, you know, block back, no sideburns. And the guy next to him was like 65 and said, I don't even know how to do that. You know, and, and so over and over again, you just, the parents just steps back gently and says, go ahead. You know, and so they don't realize that that that's not normal. <laughs> Once again, it's like, oh, I normally communicate with adults. I normally tell them what I want. And that becomes a very uh, positive, normal state within your family. You know, yeah. I, I remember one time I was out of town and, and my son was, it was school registration and he rode his little bicycle down. He was in middle school. I think he was in sixth grade and rearranged his entire schedule because he didn't like the teachers he had. Nice. And they called me from the school and said, Mrs. Boyack, you know, your son came and rearranged his schedule. I said, okay. Well, he like, good. Even did it by himself. I said, okay. I said, did he do a good job? They said, well, yes, it's excellent. In fact, it's more rigorous than what he had before. I said, well, that's wonderful. They said, but we're not used to having 11-year-olds come and do this. And I said, get used to it. This is the way the boy act children are raised. And, you know, so by the time they're 18 and they're or 16 and trying to get a job, by the time they're 18 and out in the world with college and with work, I mean, when do you expect them to be comfortable doing that? Right. You know, when are you going to start stepping back and letting those children do that 
dialogue. You know, they're the ones making the appointments. They're the ones calling the bank, you know, and working out the fact that you got a $40 bounce for a dollar soda. You know, I mean, when are they going to do all those bumpy, uncomfortable, awkward things? You want them to do them in the safety of their childhood. Yeah. Let them stop in their childhood. You know, that's a really good point. You know, yeah, that's a really good point that, that this is the time when you can come in and it's okay to come in and rescue when they get into trouble because they're still dependent on you. <laughs> right. So you want them, you know, you want them getting a job and sleeping through their alarm when they're 16 and learning. Uh, that's not a good idea. You, know? right? <laughs> you, you want them screwing up on, on managing their bank account when they're 16 and they go, oh dear, I got to pay. You know, you want all those little bumpy mistakes that are a natural part of learning to occur in a relatively safe environment of childhood, not when, oh my gosh, their house is on the line, their car, their job, their marriage, you know, no, no, no. You want to put all that independent learning as young as you can so they get work their way through it. Something that you talk about in your book is that idea of balancing and figuring out how to use their finances. How do you do allowance? How would you advise parents to do allowance? Um, we have two chapters in the book on finances because this is such a critically important thing. And so few parents are training in their children in this regard. Um, very few. And because this is this topic that parents are often still struggling with, right. you know? So yeah. um, it was our goal to train our children to learn to manage money well. We started at the age of five because at the age of five, they're beginning to understand monetary value that a, that nine pennies is not worth as much as a dime, right? So you got to wait until they're old enough to <laughs> understand that concept or it doesn't work. Uh, we did do an allowance. I know there's a lot of people that don't believe in allowance. We did an allowance for one purpose, and that was to teach them to manage money regularly, independently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to do that, we structured allowance, which is similar to a paycheck. Um, we did it according to their age. So you know, this was years ago. So our five-year-old got $5 a month. Mm -hmm. Um, I would increase that nowadays to maybe, you know, a dollar a quarter or a dollar 50 per age of year, but not much more. Right. want them to be comfortable, you know, so that they learn to be prudent. I laughed. Most of the children in the neighborhood had higher allowances than I did. That was not a good sign. (laughs) They did not learn to manage money well. So we began, um, I like a monthly allowance because that whole weekly business drove me stark raving mad, trying to right. come up with, you know, a dollar a week. Plus when you give them weekly, um, they buy junk and they buy candy and right. they don't learn how to manage it for a period of time. So we did monthly and the first Saturday of the month, they got their allowance. Um, we believe in our children paying tithing and contributing to, uh, the church. And so, mm-hmm. We gave them a 10%, you know, it cashed out enough that they could pay their 10% the very next day at church on the first Sunday of the month. Uh, mm. For other people that don't have a church culture like that, um, I still believe that it is important to teach our children to be generous. And mm-hmm. so you say you contribute 10%. It can be to, you know, the Humane Society or whatever is important to you or to that child. But I think that that's an important part of training our children to manage their money well. Um, then they had to manage their money all month long. We did, so they saved 10% of their money. They 
pay 10% to God or whatever charity, you know, the choice. And they have the other 80%. And this teaches them taxes. (laughs) They will get that paycheck and they won't be getting the whole enchilada. They only get part of it with two bites taken out of it, big bites. Right. Three, you know, if you're doing your savings. And so then they learn to manage their money all month long. And here again, allow them to experience the bumpy road of learning about money. And so they go to the dollar store, they buy junk and it lasts a week. And it dies, you know, okay, what did you learn from that? I would always say, what did you learn from that? You know, Mm -hmm. and they were trying to be upset. I'd say, no, it's okay. What did you learn from that? And it was so nice keeping them focused on that. That was super helpful. Um, We taught them about saving, crucially important to teach our children about saving. Um, I'm an estate planning attorney and I see clients that have not saved and Mm -hmm. they are toast. Mm -hmm. They are in bad shape. <clears throat> so we teach them how to save. We did a match saving so that if they saved whatever the goal was when they were just little, you know, if they saved $10, they would get, we would match it with $10. And that, you know, was, wow, got their attention. Mm-hmm. And then if wow. we stretched it out. So then it was like, well, then if you save $25 more, then you get it matched 25 and so forth. When they were older, we paid interest way more than the bank. Mm-hmm. No kid is going to be enticed to save for a 1% interest. It's just going to happen. Right. Immediate gratification is worth way more than 1%. Right. So we had a little bank of boy act. You can call yours your own. And then we, we uh, subsidized their saving to make it extremely attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, as a result, mm-hmm. most of my kids, sorry, my kids now are very good savers. I just had a son calling me yesterday to review his finances and, I was shocked at how much he had saved. He's only been out of college a year ago. So nice. that worked well. And then we taught them how horrible borrowing was. Super fun. You want a written contract when they want to buy something. You say, oh, yeah, we'll give you a bank loan. And they're like, well, oh, yeah, no problem. We would write it up, get on the computer and write up a nice note. You talk about what a promissory note was and what interest was and what a late payment was and what forfeiture was. And we had them sign it. We'd sign it, you know, and, and invariably most of them would default on their loan. And <laughs> we would take it back and say, hey, that CD is mine. Mm-hmm. And we would sell it to their brother for, you know, a buck. <laughs> <laughs> Just but we wanted yeah. to make borrowing painful, painful. Right. Painful. Right. Well, it's so, that's such a good idea that as when they're young to learn, like you were saying, that this is the time for them to experience the heartache, the struggles, the trials, so that as they get older, they won't repeat or try not to repeat the same mistakes. I think when my, um, recently my daughter got a little bit of cash from her aunt from her birthday, and she learned quickly something about opportunity cost. Because she had this, it was just $2, and she heard the ice cream machine. And she's like, oh, I want to get ice cream. And so she ran, she like, she just bolted. She ran over and got two popsicles with her $2. And she came back and was like, so tell me about this two popsicles. Do you know that we can go to the grocery store and get a whole box for $2? <laughs> She and me, like, it was, I mean, I felt so bad after because she just like burst into tears and was like, oh, you're right. Oh no, what have I done? And she felt so oh, horrible. Her. 
but she learned she learned right yeah. away and and because it was just like you know what this is this is money that you you got to be careful and, and think about when you're going to spend it because she did it so impulsively that yeah. and that afterwards I was like are you sure that was the right thing to do <laughs> and what did you learn as a yeah. What did you learn? She was, it was, she was so heartbroken, but she, yeah. and, and so it's, so what about this balance between like doing chores and earning an allowance? Do you think that that's something that should be correlated? Uh, good question. We did not connect allowance to chores. Okay. The reason for that is the minute they get older and the neighbors start paying them, they pay them way better than we do. They will just turn to you and say, forget the chores. <laughs> you know, I'm making bank over here. And um, so it does not work well at all. And so we did, uh, they had to do chores anytime they were living in the home. Even when like my older sons would move back for a month or two while they were finding a new job or whatever, they had to do chores. It's like, mm-hmm. welcome to the home. You contribute to the family. Yeah. So, so they were not connected at all. Um, the other thing is we stopped that. Oh, I forgot to mention. We stopped the allowance uh, when they turned 12 mm-hmm. because then they were fully capable of earning money. Mm-hmm. Like I say, the neighbors paid way more. Right. Uh, of course, the chores continued. We did yeah. do money chores from young ages so that they could do, uh, and those chores were not the regular chores that you would have on a weekly basis, but bigger stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, like defrosting the freezer or something of that nature. It was always work that I did not want to do personally. So we put that on the money chore list and they could earn money. And my kids would even come home from college and they'd say, do you have any money chores? I'm like, you bet. Here's the list. Go for it. Knock yourself out. And on the money chores, we found that paying per project was better than paying hourly. They did not, none of them mm-hmm. liked the hourly. And, and I found that actually worked better because it was like, okay, I'm going to pay you $5 for this chore. And if it takes you five hours, you're bad. You know what I mean? If you daily that and it takes you too long, oh, okay, that's so sad. And, and so uh, we paid by project, but yeah, we did not connect those two at all. I've seen people regret that. <laughs> so, but how did you teach them the correlation between production and consumption? Consumption, you know. So it's like, because it seems like you know more and more, or it's just a thing that with kids, they go and they get the gimmies at the store, and they just want and want and want. And or you told a story about going it to the nail salon and seeing their the mom and daughter, and oh, yeah. then it's like the daughter kind of cringing when you're talking about, we cut them off on their allowance at this age going, Oh, wait a minute. And so, but that's just the typical mentality. Like kids just, okay, where's my handout? And they just spend and spend. And that's kind of become like a, a cultural and financial plague of our society of this unending consumption, you know, that, that and entitlement. Exactly. And so, but but in order to consume, we have got to be able to produce something that is not only contributing to society, but also allowing you to have the means to consume, right? And so at age 12, did you see that correlation becoming more prominent that they were going, oh, if I want to be able to get something, I've got to do the work. Frankly, it was even before that because our allowance was very small. You know, we did we did not pay a livable wage <laughs> by any stretch. So if they wanted anything that was the least bit cool, they had to save for it. 
you know, so that was there. And like I say, they were very incentivized to do money chores or other little chores for neighbors or that kind of thing. So you've got to keep that allowance small enough that they're learning to manage money, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yet keep that incentive of, but if you want anything cool, get out there and work. So when our kids turned 12, uh, one of the things that we did, I think it was super helpful, two things. First of all, um, they got a, a clothing allowance at the age of 12. Okay. We gave them an annual allowance based on Walmart prices. And it was their clothes for the year. We did not include church clothes, but all their clothes for the year. And they then had to learn how to manage that money all year long. They loved the clothing allowance. Even though I had boys, they loved it. Mm -hmm. And it was super weird because I'm like, don't you realize you're losing your allowance? But they didn't care. They loved managing that much money for a whole year. Um, the other thing that we did was we encouraged them to work and work hard and get jobs. And so by the age of 12, we were helping them make flyers to do pet sitting and pet walking and, mm-hmm. and mow lawns and wash cars. And, and so I'd say, it's time to start your little business, you know, and they would think it was their own little business. They thought it was so cool. Um, and some would inherit work from their brothers, you know, cause uh, we had the four boys, um, by the time they were 14, we were lining up internships with people, typically people that own their own business. Okay. Uh, so, for example, my one son, uh, my number two, was quite tall, he was a big boy, and he was very interested in construction and building homes and things. And we had a friend that had a hardwood flooring business. So we said, hey, can he come help you out on Saturdays and see how the business works? Um, and within a month, he was so valuable that I started paying him at the age of 13. Wow. So he would go work every Thursday or every Saturday and loved it. Uh, interesting that he kept that for several years. And then as he got older, he realized, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. Right. You know, he wanted to do something different. And so that was good. Uh, another son we lined up, he wanted to be an attorney. And so I set him up with a three-month internship with an attorney friend of mine. Within one week, he was like, this is horrible. Uh-huh. I said, do that. You've committed to three months. And by the end of the three months, it was like... Oh, God, no, you know, I don't ever want to do this. It's uh-huh. horribly boring, you know. And, and so with each of the children, we said, what are you interested in? And then lined them up. And um, that, that, they thought that was so adult. Yeah. You know, that was so adult. And they were, most of them ended up getting paid because they worked their way into a job. Mm-hmm. Um, they were buying their, their own stuff. They knew how long it took to work for that stuff because they were working. And uh, that, that was invaluable in developing skills of confidence, interviewing, resumes, you know, interacting with the public, sales, you name it. Uh, that, yeah. think of having those opportunities. By the time he's 18 and going out of the world, would you rather hire him or the kid that's been doled out by mom and dad till they're yeah. 18? Definitely. Huge, <laughs> huge life experience. And like I say, they loved it. Well, they didn't love every job they did, but they loved loved that overall experience of trying stuff, yeah. you know, trying jobs, real adult jobs, trying yeah. jobs. It, it was really helpful. That is inspiring. I, I love that example. I would, I can't wait to start doing that with my kids. <laughs> so tell us about, um, besides your own books, obviously you mentioned that you liked John Rosemond. Oh. Do you have a favorite book of his? The new parent power. And it's an older book, so it's hard to find. Uh-huh. You got to get on Amazon. Oh, my gosh. Um, there were two balancing things. So I liked The New Parent Power by John Rosemond. I loved everything he wrote. I've read, read 
everything. He, oh, his potty training book is to die for. Save me. So all his stuff. And then I also like Parent Effectiveness Training, older book again. Mm-hmm. But it is, Parent Effectiveness Training is the foundational core principles that you need for human interaction in a parenting framework. It's genius. And so I kind of blended the two. And they're a little bit different philosophies. You know, the parent power is very much, you know, alpha male, you are the parent, you are in charge. Mm -hmm. And parent effectiveness training incorporates active listening, negotiating principles, etc. So like I say, I kind of blended those two and then adapted per child because each Uh kid was different, you know. Right. So yeah, those are my faves. Awesome. I had never heard of those. So I'm really glad to learn about those. That's awesome. Can you tell us one last tip to leave us with? that you would kind of summarize what you teach? Trust your gut. I really think that as parents, God gave us those children for a reason. Mm. He picked them out specifically for us and has trusted us with those children. And we are the very best parents for those children. And so I think that we can take confidence in trusting that and trusting that God or a higher power or whatever you believe in is going to help you raise those children, uh, is going to answer your, you know, desperate pleas and guide you if you're open to that into directions that are going to, you know, um, help you along this path. But I think confident, intentional parenting is the best gift we can give a child. Absolutely. Confident. And, and I used to always say, hey, I have to report to God about how I raised you, not the neighbor kids. So, <laughs> This is the way it's going to be. And ask that question over and over again. Is this training my child to be a wonderful, good, independent adult? And that will guide your path more than you realize. If you just hammer that into your head and you look at what you're doing and you're like, oh, yeah, that's good. Even though it's painful right now and they hate me right now. Oh, this is going to really help them. Or, oh, no, that, that stinks. Don't do that. You know, so trust that as a good navigating question. You know, will them help them get there along that path? And trust us. Trust them. Yeah. Trust the process. Awesome. Thank you so much, Marilee. Tell us one more time where we can find you. Where can we connect with you? On social media or your website? I live on social media. (laughs) Um, I'm on Facebook, Mare, M-E-R-R, Mare Boyack, B-O-Y-A-C-K, Mare Boyack, Facebook. And I'm on there way too much. And uh, my website is Marilee Boyack, hard to spell, M-E-R-R, Merry Christmas, M-E-R-R-I-L-E-E, and then my last name is Boyack, B-O-Y-A-C. And you can find my books and uh, my recordings on Amazon, mm-hmm. up to working on book 13 right now. So, got a lot out there. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Marilee. awesome. I feel so inspired now to help teach my kids to be more independent and learn these life skills to prepare them for adulthood. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can come to my website to read the show notes and see the links of the things that we referenced during this episode. Again, the show notes are homeandfamilyculture.com. You can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and now on Spotify. Thank you for listening. Please comment, like, rate, and share. Thank you for your support.